Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Uh, David wrote a lot about the church. Uh, here is actually written by the sons of Korah but were mentees of David. So things that they wrote in this psalm was actually things that you can find in other scriptures that David wrote. But in my Bible, it says the heading, the blessedness of dwelling in the house of God. I want to talk about the seven blessings that come from the house of God. In this chapter, there are seven reasons why we go to church, seven blessings that come from being a part of the local body. And, um, I think it's good for us to hear about this and, and let the Lord have his way. So let's just read a couple verses together, and then I'm going to go the rest of the way through the preaching. So it says, verse 1, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul, my soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's just stop there for a moment. Pray your blessing upon our word and our reading of the word. Have your way in this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated today in the house of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. The seven blessings that come from the house of God. So the, I've been asked this uh, many times. You probably have too. Do you, do you have to go to church uh, to be a Christian? And I used to, you know, ask this as well when people would invite me to church. We don't have to go to church to believe. Well, to answer that, technically, you actually do not have to go to church to get saved, to be a Christian. Um, if, you, if you lived, you can live on a deserted island with you and your Bible. Uh, but let me say this, you know, you wouldn't be fulfilled. <laughs> you wouldn't be fulfilled on a deserted island. Part of the problem that many don't go to church today are churches, uh, sad to say, but are the case, but many of the times it's also, I think it's us. I know it was my, my issue before I joined a church and came follow the Lord. It was really my problem uh, more than anything else. It's like the guy that uh, was on a deserted island and he was stranded and finally he was rescued. And when they come to get him, they notice three tabernacles on the beach. And the guy said to him, hey, what's those three tabernacles? And he said, well, this one right here is where I used to live. And they said, well, what's that other one? He goes, well, that's where I worship. Every Sunday I worship. He, then they said, well, what's that third tabernacle? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so, so sometimes it, it, it's not the church. Sometimes, how I many you know, it's, it, it's us. Uh, but seriously, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I would say this. You have to, we have to go to church to be an obedient Christian. We have to be a part of a local body to be an obedient Christian. Scripture verses, Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake yourself to gathering together of the saints as many have gotten into the habit of doing. And we've seen, uh, but encourage one another even more so as you see the day approaching. Okay, Hebrews 10, 25 tells us that. It says that it's easy to get into a habit of not going to churches we've seen since COVID. Uh, many churches have closed. There's been a falling away. Even online, folks have watched online and then even like falling away online. I mean, it's just something that it's hard. It seems harder in this day. Now, there are enigmas. There are exceptions to the rule. God has been so generous and blessed our church. And many others are growing. And like in Africa, we're going to see what God is doing. They can't build churches fast enough. There are people coming back to the house of God. 
uh, that were raised in church and all the crazy things that you see happening in the world today, they're like, God's bringing them in. So that's not the case all the time. But you do got to go to church to be an obedient Christian. And I would add to it, we got to go to church to be a growing Christian. Um, It's God's plan for us to be a part of a local body. It's, it's just how it is. It's God's ideal. Jesus invented the church. God invented the church. Jesus loved the church. And the Bible says he gave himself for the church. But I like this chapter because David and the writers here, they have a different tone when it comes to going. They're not from, they're, they're not like, you got to go to church. To be, they're not even about that same tone. Listen to two, verse, two verses that we just read. He says, how lovely is your tabernacle. How lovely is your tabernacle. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. You know, we should should love, I love the church. I love gathering with God's people. How many love the church? Well, I know you do, you're here. You, You love it. The church has rescued our family. The church has saved our family, God has through the church. He has given us purpose. Melinda and I and our life and our story uh, is similar to so many others that were out in the world. And, and I even grew up in the church, but my heart was in the world. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about that here because you can be in the church and not be a part of the church. You can even get caught up in the church, be a part of a church, but not be part of the body. And it's the enemy's plan is to get us isolated and offended or, or whatever, busy, get us into sin, whatever. He does not want the people of God to gather together. As I've been talking about in spiritual warfare, how there's power and agreement and all these blessings that come because the enemy does not want that. But we should want to, to love the church. Even sometimes it's hard and you don't get along with everybody. It's still God's plan. In fact, God uses them kind of relationships. You know those relationships that kind of rub you the wrong way? You know, when you see him coming, you go high and you go down the other way and you go down the other aisle. God, you know, we may not get along with everybody, but it is God's will that we all become one, become one body. God uses all these relationships to perfect and complete his work in us. So tell the person next to you, I need you. Tell the person on the other side of you that looks a little bit more friendly because some of y'all got some mean resting faces up in here. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Come on now. Tell the other person next to you, say, you need me. (laughs) Yeah, you do. We need each other. We need to to be a part of a local body. It's God's plan. It's his design. That's how he completes us. That's how he fulfills us. And I was real careful, you know, growing up. This whole text here is a different tone. It's not like we have to go to church. It's we get to go to church. And then that's, that's the attitude. I remember when our daughters were little, I began to change. I was intentional on how I told the kids and we were going to church. I would, I would quit saying, we got to go to church. It'd be a Wednesday night. He'd be out playing summertime. And I didn't want to be, you know, quit playing, quit having fun. We're going to church, you know. So I didn't want to say, we got to go to church. And I remember saying, guys, we get to go to church and, and, and invite your friends if they want to come. But we go to church, you know, on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so if they're spending the night, that was the rule. Hey, you guys get to come to church with us. And every time, most of the time, they would come with our daughters and they end up liking it. And, 
and ended up loving it. And people just, another thing that keeps people from joining churches is, is the stereotypes. So many negative stereotypes that they have in their mind about what church is like until they come. That's why we do so many different outreaches and things to try to get people to get their foot in the door and they experience the presence of God and they begin to build relationships and God begins to perfect their life in, in ways like that. But we still love the church. Even those times when we would be in ministry, Melinda and I, and we would be, you were, we were youth pastors for like 11 years and there were times when we had some drama in the youth group. How many old teenagers can have, how many adults can have some drama? And I remember Melinda and I would be frustrated, aggravated, you know, this, this person or so-and-so is doing this. I can't believe this person, you know. And I would have to really watch my tongue because my daughters were in the back seat like this. Sometimes our kids, when they get older, they will either love the church or resent the church, not because how the preacher preaches, how the worship team sings, but it's really how mom and dad has talked about the church over the years. And so we plant these seeds sometimes. And, and even though you're, you know, we've all been hurt or offended or upset, but our kids kind of sometimes hear that. And then when they get 18, we expect them to just love the church like us. And so let me just caution parents, you know, uh, be careful when we get, when we say things like that, be more intentional on talking about the good things that God has done through the local church. Because I believe in these last days, there will be a great falling away. It's predicted in scripture. But the Bible also says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So there's going to be this falling away and there's going to be this, this kindling and revival fire. I want all of us to be in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this last day. Come on, if you agree with that, say amen. The enemy's job, you know, we're going to Africa. And so I, I love one of my bucket lists is going to the safari. And after building the church, we do got a free day where we get to go see the safari. And missionary said to me, one rule, don't get out of the vehicle. How many know I was tempted? There'll be one guy get out of the vehicle. So, but all my life, I wanted, but you saw the National Geographic animals that what happens when, when a wildebeest or an animal gets away from the herd, right? That's when the lion takes them down. And spiritually speaking, we know that. That's been, that's been used for years in churches to warn us to stay in the herd. But I want to give you the seven blessings here, what, the, what this chapter tells us about being in the house of God, that come from being a part of a local body and having someone that, and you need to be a part of a church where they are supporting you. And we have many that live outside the area and this is their church and people have gotten saved in our, behind these cameras. And so when you look around and see these cameras, I want you to know that they're just not, who's back there, Nehemiah, someone, Isaiah Smith back there, Thank God for these youth that are, that are in church, these young people that are in church on a Sunday serving. Uh, but they're not just pieces of equipment that are very expensive. On the other side of them, in fact, if you're watching on one of our social media, just begin to chat, make some noise, say some names, say hello, something. And uh, many watch on our internet, on our website. But people have gotten saved. And, and this is their church. And I, wanna, I always give a shout out to my in-laws, Don and Ellen, who watch and this is their church. They didn't go to church for most of their life. And during COVID, they watched us. They got saved and their life to the Lord. And so many others, this is their church. But we need a church where we're going to get fed the word of God that supports us in our journey of faith. And we also support the church. That is what God's design is. 
But the first thing as we go through these, I got to get going. Verse three, after he says, I love the church. And my attitude is that I love being in the body of Christ and with the church, with all of its problems. And no one's perfect, man, there's not a perfect church. But he says in verse three, even the sparrow has found a home where she may raise her young. To me, this says the church is for families. This point number one, this is the, the, the blessing that comes upon families. God actually instituted the church. Now, families is where we make disciples. That's where we really make disciples. Like I was saying, the things that we say and the things that we do at home really are more impacting than what happens at church, right? But the church is supposed to unite with the family and create an atmosphere and an environment where our kids are loved and they're, they're safe. And, and it's, uh, my daughter, Felicia, she's one of the River Kids directors. And, and every Sunday we get family dinner and she's all, how, how did it go on River Kids today? You know, and it's, oh, we had all these kids and it's amazing. And she'll tell us, and my grandson's in there now. And, and it's so amazing and with your kids. And, and uh, she sent me this picture and my grandson was reaching over trying to give a kiss to one of your other kids. And they were just, just giving a little, they're just little babies. They're a year old, but they're, they're growing up in this environment and where they're gonna have, I pray, lifelong friends, like many of us do. My daughters grew up in this church and here's Alyssa and Amber who basically came up in this church for 20 years. This is what the church is supposed to be, a place that's like a family where we have lifelong friends in this community of believers. There's also a family element. We, you hear it all the time, the church fam, the church family. It is true, there's a church family here, an element. The early church, they ate meals together. They, they, they were loyal to one another. They were, they were committed to one another. They had companionship. They loved one another. This too is supposed to be what the body of Christ is supposed to you know, be in the earth today as exemplify to the other people in the world is when they look at the church and they see a diverse group of people like this. I love a church that's so diverse in age and ethnicities. Very few places have this. Sports is one of them, and that's why I love sports, right? You can be sitting next to a Republican and a Democrat and an Independent, you don't care, but as long as they got a Lions jersey on, they're my friend for three hours, amen. <laughs> but the thing about sports is it's that conditional love, it's that um, sorge love in the Bible. It's, it, it's the kind of love that's very conditional. The church can also be a very blended place, but we have, we're the only place on planet earth that has the agape love, the unconditional love that God has given us that we need to show one another. Amen. Come on, he say amen or all me. I need to work on that. When Melinda and I was down in Tennessee to this uh, conference, this AACC thing, and they talked about this thing. These were, these were counselors and pastors and chaplains who were very smart sociologists. They were clinic psychiatrists. They were doctors. They were very smart, spirit-filled people that, were, that, that are in the business, right? And they talked about this thing that we have in our culture that I wasn't really aware of, but it's a thing that a lot of professionals are, are saying this is a problem in the American culture, culture post-COVID. It's called transactional culture. We have a transactional culture where that means that we will not give anybody uh, our attention unless they can give something of value to us. 
And that's a real thing, and they think it's come from social media, like we like watching those videos, right? And we, and we don't even really will watch a 10-second video unless it gets our attention in the first second, right? We've been so used to clickbait, right? I mean, go on YouTube, and that's why we have these crazy uh, big, big headlines to get our attention because they just want us to click on it. And we have clicked on things, and we have watched things, and if it's not even funny, we just scroll right by. And that may be fine with social media, but they're talking about, hey, it's now— it's now crept over into our relationships where we won't even stop and talk to somebody. It's transactional culture unless we, they have something of value to give to us. It's a real problem. And, and people won't even, won't even talk to you unless they, they feel, let me just tell you something, the, the church is supposed to be the opposite of that. Jesus was the opposite of that. Nobody gave anything of value to Jesus, but yet Jesus was intentional to sit down with sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because that person was the value to Christ. That person was valuable enough for Jesus to give him him his time to them. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. Supposed to be like a family. And don't let culture pull us in these corners. And I got to say this kind of stuff because we're heading into a political year. And it's so easy to be divided. And, and, and this is one of the ways I believe the enemy totally will weaken the church is when we are all gathered, but we're not united. We're not like family. And the devil will put lies in our head and thoughts in our mind to try to pull us apart. He did it with the early church. Chapter two, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Chapter three, it's power of God. Chapter four, a church split. Ananias and Sapphira lying to the church. But then the, there was a, the Bible says the church grew excessively and, the, and people begin to complain. It's in the same verse, it's amazing. That they were being neglected because of the widows and they had all that whole problem. So you get two chapters into a church that is exploding. And God said, I'm finally going to use this to change the landscape of Rome. But the devil said, not if I can help it. And he got in there and he tried, but thank God for the leadership and the pastoral anointing on Peter. And, and they begin to preach the word of God and keep the people in body unified. We need to hear these kind of messages because we need to understand that we are a part of something bigger than us. We are a part of something bigger than us. I never thought I'd be going to South Africa and, and help build a church, but you know what? They're our brothers and sisters. Amen. They are my brothers and sisters when I get down there. And we'll get to just do the same thing in, in worship. So it's important that we continue to keep that that connection going. Then he goes on and he says, your altars, Lord of hosts or Lord of armies, my King and my God. What is this? Church is where the altars were. This is another reason God had the corporate body. Yes, you got private altars at home. Every believer needs that private altar. But the altars in the church were the first thing that God constructed been building the tabernacle was the altar. The altar is where you and I have a encounter with God. It's a place where we pray through. It's a place where you would grab the horns of the altar and you would hold on to the horns of the altar and you would begin to pray and you wouldn't let go until God brought a blessing. This is where Hannah prayed at the church because she couldn't have kids. So she could have prayed at home, but she came to the house of God and she got into the altar and she began to cry out to God. 
And God used Eli and blessed her, and she had Samuel, where we use baby dedications. Again, the family is united and connected to the church, the ecclesia, the corporate gathering of God's people. The altar is where Adonijah, he committed treason. But the scripture says there was a law in Leviticus that if someone ran into the altar and they grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, that you could not touch them. You could, no matter if they committed a crime, no matter if they committed treason, if someone grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, they were hands off. God said, they're my people and they're calling out to me and I'm going to handle them. Even if they committed sin, as Andonijah did, and others did, God said, if they're holding on to the horns of the altar, there is something about coming to the house of God and praying through, getting a hold of God and learning to stay put and, and pray until God does something. As Jacob wrestled with the angel, this is the same symbolism. He wrestled with the angel, and the angel said, let me go. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's that same attitude here that he's talking about, the house of God. This is where we learn how to persevere, is coming to the house of God and getting a hold of the horns of the altar. I said this a month ago when I was talking about prayer and I talked about if we don't build altars. Actually, I said if we don't teach our kids to build altars, they'll build avatars. And it's the same with adults. If we don't learn to be broken before God in the house of God, in the altar of God, like Jacob and said, Jacob said, I, didn't, I don't like who I am, God. I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like the, the direction that I'm going in my life. So he, he didn't just quit. He came to the altar. He came and got a hold of God. And he said, I'm not going to let go until you change me. If we remove the altars, and some churches have even removed the altars, there's no place for God's people to cry out to God and to feel his presence. That'll never happen in this church. We will always, always have an altar, a place where you and I can get a hold of God. You gotta have that in churches. If you don't, you just got a religious ceremony. And there's just so much that's going on in churches today. We've turned from the grassroots of Acts 2 and 4 to this hyped up professional speaker. This guy's gotta be the best orator ever with three points and a poem. And the service and the music's gotta be like something out of Disney and Broadway. And I'm not knocking good talent. I think you, whatever we do for God, we need to do it with excellence. That's one of our core values. Our staff knows that. If we can't put together a video or something and put on our social media with excellence, we don't do it because not everybody's saved. They will judge you by the way that that flyer looks. Make sure you don't have misspelling on that flyer in Jesus' name. Welcome you to Titch. God <laughs> moose you. <laughs> so we do need to have an element of professionalism, but here's the thing. We, we've become, I got seven of these. Hello, Jesus, help me. We've become so Broadway, I think, and so superficial. If you spend time with anybody under 40, this is the big turnoff because they can see right through it. You got people that are battling all kinds of things, like Jacob that was battling things in his life where I believe it was a lot of things that could be very relevant to today. The Bible says Jacob had a rugged brother who was an outdoorsman, a hunter. Right? That's a man's man. But the Bible says Jacob 
loved his mother and dwelt among tents. Today, they would label him a homosexual. They would label him feminine. I guarantee you, if you read Jacob's story, they would say that boy is feminine. He's going to be gay. I'm telling you that. I don't go too deep into that story. But then you fast forward to the end of his life, and he's wrestling with an angel, and he's saying, God, I don't like the label that's being put on me. I don't like the things, even the desires that I've been having of manipulating my brother. I need a change. I am tore up from the floor up. And God, I'm not letting go of this altar until you change me. That's what the church is for. And the angel said, oh, I'm going to change you. You're not even going to be called Jacob anymore. I'm going to name you Israel. Israel, that's the nation of Israel. An entire nation was named after a man who knew how to get a hold of God and pray at the altars. You don't think it's important enough today? What are you going through in your life that you need God to change? A little three-point poem sermon ain't going to do it. What will do it is when you and I roll up our sleeves and get in this altar and quit being so prideful and thinking of what people's going to think and get before God and say, God, I'm broken. Come on, somebody. Praise him today. I'm broken and I need you to change me. Well, Pastor Reddy. I don't sound very religious. It's not supposed to. Invite me to come pray in these ecumenical circles. Sit next to Rabbi, this guy, and Imad, this guy, and I'm looking around at them. And they come to me and they say, hey, I'm going to have you pray. I said, okay. You notice I don't have a collar. You're going to give me that microphone. Now, I won't go praying in tongues, but the Holy Ghost tells me I will. But every time, in fact, last time we was in Israel, I was thinking about this. We had other churches join us from other denominations, which is great. Well, I had to give a devotional at every site, which I was not wanting to do. I was wanting to enjoy the trip. But after I started doing it, I was like, this is amazing. I mean, I was there at Mount Carmel where Elijah called fire down from heaven. How can you not get excited about that? So they gave me the microphone, Gary. And I'm just looking around. We got our crew, 16 of us, River of Lifers. We were, amen. Then we had Church of the Nazarene. We had the Church of Christ that was so like, who is this guy? We had every denomination there. But I, I watched this. I wasn't all crazy. I just let the Holy Ghost move. And after every one of those, it was so awesome. These people came to me and were like, hey, I go to, I've been going to church all my life. My pastors never talk like that. I've never learned. I've learned more on this trip than I have in 20 years. I said, well, they said, what is that? I said, that's the Holy Spirit. Go ask your pastor about the third of the New Testament is about the Holy Spirit. All right. If you don't build altars, if you don't be like Jacob, hear me, young people, old people, middle-aged people. If we don't learn to get to the altars and stay in the altars and have that reoccurring, go to the altar every time if you're needing a breakthrough. Where in the Bible does God say, that's enough, don't pursue me? Where in your Bible where it says, ah, you came to the altar last Sunday and nothing happened, stay, where's that at? You need to be like David. David got, he messed up. He wasn't perfect, but man, he got the glory of God. He would take a giant down with a slingshot. Why? Because he had a hunger for the presence of God and a desire for God that was more than his pride. That was more than his self-esteem. He was more concerned with the things of God. 
If we don't build the altars, we will build avatars. And that's what I did in church. About 13, I began to check out. I was in the building. My heart was in the world. So I began to build an avatar. What's an avatar? Uh, avatar is a false representation of who you are. And it's cool to have them on your phone, on your video games, but not in real life. And I'm telling you one way to keep the avatars, because we'll put up an avatar. How you doing, Pastor? Oh, I'm blessed and positioned to prosper. <laughs> avatar, you, you, you just debated suicide three times this week. I'm, not me, I'm just saying. There's people that put on the smiles and we say, we're doing fine, but inside they feel more lonely and detached and growing cold in their faith. So we look for reasons to blame. It's this person. Pastor Eddie had a turtleneck on. I didn't want it. I didn't like it today. I'm just being silly. We find the craziest things. And God says, no, you know what the problem is? This altar is cold. I got four more of these. But the Bible says, how lovely are the altars, the armies of God. King James says host. It's the same word as army. It's spiritual warfare is where the altars are supposed to place. Let's keep going. Blessed, verse 4, are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Yeah, this kind of goes with it. And here's point number three. Church helps us finish our race. The church is, God has put us here. This kind of preaching I'm doing. This is, we got, this is what we do. It, it, it encourages us to finish our race. The fire of God, fire is contagious, right? It's contagious. Another analogy that's been used forever is a pile of coals. How many like to barbecue with coals? How many are your coal people? Amen. How many are instant flame propane? That's me. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll tell you the coals taste better. It really does. But it's so much faster to just hit that igniter, right? I mean, but if you ever notice a pile of coals, what happens, guys, when they're all hot and all gray, you remove one from the pile and you put it over here. Regardless of why it's over there, if it's out of the pile, give it about 30 seconds and watch that fire grow cold. That's exactly what happens when you remove the church where God has placed us. This is why in the end times, the thing that's holding back the Antichrist is the church. You remove the church from society and you watch all hell break loose. There's nobody saying pro-life. There's nobody saying male and female. There's no, who is saying those voices? It's that you take the moral relevance and the moral voice from society. You tell me what's gonna happen. Same thing spiritually speaking when we allow the enemy to pull us aside. I like this analogy. I was thinking this the other day. The church is an elevator. Church is like an elevator. I was on the elevator not recently, and there's this guy got on with his son. And his son tried to grab the buttons, and he said, get over here. He said, we're going all the way to the top. So get to the, we go, he said, go to the back. We're going to the back because we're going all the way to the top. And I noticed that every floor, it would open, someone would jump in, they'd look at the buttons, and if they were planning on not staying long, they stayed toward the doors. They'd hit their button, and they would just stay toward the front. Can I tell you that church is many times like that, where many will get in the elevator, and their plan, and my plan was, when I first got saved, just stay here for a little longer and not really ride this thing all the way up. 
But can I tell you that God is looking for some people that's going to get on the elevator and be a part of the body of Christ and get all the way to the back. And you may need to strap onto those, those, those uh, banisters in the back and say, as for me and my family, get over here. We ain't going nowhere near that door. We're taking this baby all the way to the top until God says, well done. And let me tell you something about how funny the church world is. Some of you are like me. You have had, there are people that have led you to the Lord that are now stepped off the elevator. If you are in church long enough, you, I have Sunday school teachers. I have Royal Ranger commanders. Now, not all of them. Is Bill here? We got one that comes to our church that was one of my Royal Ranger commanders. They didn't all fall away, but there were some. There were some that I looked up to in the church world. And if you serve God long enough, we got this problem in the church world where people don't, want to get to the, I am telling you, please get to the back of the elevator. And even if someone even led you to the Lord, maybe you had a pastor led you to the Lord and got off the elevator. I know it hurts. I know it's like, what's that? But that's when you got to step back and say, though none go with me. It's got to be more than a song. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. There's this little scripture in Nehemiah. I've preached this before. It's a, it's an, I think every Christian needs to answer that question that the king and his wife asked Nehemiah. Nehemiah it came into his heart to go build the, the house of God, the elevator, to get on the elevator, to go, go serve God. As he went before the king, he said, king, I want to go back to Israel and I'm going to build the temple. And, and the king and his wife asked him this question. He said, where are you going and how long will you be gone? The devil has seen so many come into the church world. Man, I just feel this today. And the, Lord, and the devil's going, okay, I see you in church. Where are you going and how long are you going to be there? I'm going to keep your seat warm for you. And I believe the answer to those questions go together. Because if you know where you're going, if you've got a long-term vision of yourself following the Lord. If you can see yourself, young people, young people, Josiah, who's the youngest over here? If you can see yourself, Maggie, they're all turning around. <laughs> Don't look at me. As you're young, you gotta get a mental picture of seeing yourself when you're old in the house of God. You gotta see yourself with your kids in the house of God. You gotta get that mental picture in your mind. That's why our seniors are so valuable because now I'm coming up and I need, I thank God my dad's sitting on the front row. He don't have to be here today. Brother Ozzy don't have to be here today. I'm sure his back is hurting him. He could have been more comfortable at home, but this man loves the house of God. And now I'm in that age. I'm not teenagers no more. I'm looking at their, their age and I'm needing to see myself where they are. You got to get that mental picture like God gave Abraham, he said, come out of the tent. I can tell you in the tent that your children is going to be as numerous as the stars. But he didn't say that. He said, Abraham, come outside. Look up to the stars. Get a mental picture for where there is no vision, the people cast off for strength. For you need to look up into those stars and get a mental picture, baby. That's going to be your and your descendants forever. I don't care what you're going through, river of life, but you got to see yourself hanging in there until that trumpet sounds. You got to hang in there. See yourself. Coming to church again, singing the songs again, taking up the offering, having the announcements, hearing this crazy preacher yell at you. You gotta get, you see yourself doing that, I'm telling you. 
It's God's plan for our life. I preach this, this kind of stuff like a life challenge, and I remember telling one of our residents that was getting ready to graduate this Psalm 84, and I told him, picture yourself, and he's single. He goes, he's picturing himself. He literally did it right then and there. He goes, can I picture myself with a woman standing next to me? I said, yes. <laughs> if you're single, this is the pond to be fishing in. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's okay. It's okay to be scoping and hoping in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah. Any rings on that man's hand? Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come out of the, the water tank getting baptized. Somebody, you need a prayer partner? I'm just saying. You know, <laughs> all the single people, listen, I'm look in the house of God. Don't be going to the club talking about, oh, I can't find nobody. You're looking in the wrong pond, dude. It's the same kind of guy, just a different outfit, different color hair, different whatever, but it's the same dude. Why? Because it's the same fish that goes in the same pond. Hallelujah. Not everybody in the pond is saved. I know you got to kind of do some fishing. Hallelujah. Finish your race. Then he says, I'm going to go kind of quick. As they pass through the valley of Baca, Verse six, they make it a place of springs. Number four, church can help us get through the tough seasons of life. Can I tell you, life is hard. Life is, this world's broken. But I love the church from Genesis to Revelation. You have a community of believers that are here for one another. I mean, look at David's life. David's son, he had a son named Amon. Amon raped his half-sister Tamar, Okay creating a scandal in the palace. Two years later, Tamar's brother Absalom took revenge by murdering Abnon. Then later, Absalom, he learned, he, had, he led an army of rebellion against David and tried to overthrow him and drove him from Jerusalem. David was a mighty warrior, but his family life saddens the heart of anybody. David lost an infant child, probably the hardest thing any human being, any parent would have to live through. David went through all of these things, but yet he writes in Psalm 73, he's very transparent when he begins to say, he says, I almost slipped and lost my way. I almost slipped and lost my way. I almost begin to say, why go? Why log on? Why go? And then he says, surely I've cleansed my hands for nothing. In other, words, in other words, surely I've been living this holy life and I haven't been indulging in the flesh for nothing because the wicked is more blessed and I'm going through this season, literally everything is falling apart. Have you ever been there? That's why I love the Bible. Come on, I'm gonna say it. The Bible ain't boring. You're boring. <laughs> How can you not read that if you've lived long enough and say, I've been there? That's Psalm 73, but you got to keep reading because toward the end of the chapter, David goes through a little litany of just, of just, you know, venting. And then he goes, until I went into the house of the Lord, until I went, I was feeling, I almost slipped. I almost lost my way until I went into the house of the Lord where there's altars, where there's the people of God. And my perspective was shifted. My perspective was shifted because I realized, this is what he said in Psalm 73, what the end of the wicked is going to be like and what the end of the righteous is going to be like. 
He mentions in this verse, Psalm 84, about pilgrimage. This is another way that the church helps you finish. And this is another way that we walk through the seasons of baka. Baka means weeping. You're going to go through a season of weeping. All of us have been there. Some of you have been there. I know some of you sitting third row in. You've been through the seasons of, of baka where you cry, where you're weeping. But this thing about pilgrimage talks about eternity. It, God says it's through the church and through the word of God and through the fellowship of the believers. It turns it from a, a valley of weeping to pools of water and rejoicing. You can't get that from a football game. You can't get that from the Moose Club. I love the Moose Club. Guys are good guys. You can't get that from what other group that's out there. You can only get this kind of stuff, this eternal word of God that can shift your whole spirit from the house of God. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. All right, let's, let's wrap up. Then he says, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Zion's another name for the church. Number five, church is where we grow spiritually, of course. This is where I said you don't have to go to church to be saved, but you've got to go to church to be an obedient Christian, and you've got to go to church to grow You've got you to sit under a teaching of the word of God that's going to challenge you. you. This is how you grow. You grow by being encouraged. Some of you have already been encouraged. You saw yourself in Psalm 73. You've, you've saw yourself. The Holy Spirit's been working in your life and through this message. That's what he does every Sunday. It's what he does every time. But another way that we grow is when we are being challenged. And this is where the church family comes. You're not always going to get along with everybody. You got, you got type A's, type B's, type C's. Some of y'all are type F, elemental P. I don't even know. And you're not going to get along with everybody. And that's fine, but that is, God uses that to challenge you. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you were challenged? The last time you were, you show me the last time you were challenged, I'll show you the last time you were growing. Because you cannot have growth and comfort at the same time. It's impossible. There are times when you're going to be encouraged. I've got this Christmas series I'm going to kick off with someone else's next Sunday on hope. I mean, that's hope. The hope. Jesus is the hope. We need hope in these dark days. You and I need hope. Absolutely. You're going to get blessed. But there's messages that also need to come forth that talk about Repentance and getting right with God, and, and, and not walking in the flesh, those are, those are challenging. That's how we grow. We grow spiritually. And going to a church, and if you're, you're not growing, I heard this years ago, if you're not growing, you're dying. Actually, Phil Driscoll said that years ago. If you're not growing, you're dying. And there's different ways to grow. You're not always bearing fruit. That's why I love the, the leaders that came through ETS. We do everything here at our church. If you're a man and, and you're, you feel like you're not coming into the church, let me tell you something. We just had a men's breakfast a couple weeks ago. Were you there? I mean, come to these men things. Life groups, do you come to life groups? Do you come, do you join? I mean, the, this is why the church, this is why we do these things. Dodgeball, anything, to get people to come together and to build relationships because of this very thing that I'm preaching to you today. I don't want to see nobody drift away I don't want to see nobody fall away 
from the things of God. I want you to grow in your faith, and this is how you grow. Lastly, number seven, he says in verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Number seven, church is where we serve. Wow, I did pretty good on time. I am so proud of myself. Hallelujah. That I to say it right, number seven, church is where, oh, I skipped six. Ah! Just teasing you. Look at there. Shawnita's on it. The scripture for that one is, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Oh, yeah, this is actually really, really good. Okay, I wasn't going to put this in here because I don't talk about prayer with the altars. This is corporate prayer. This is the power of agreement. So the altar is where you learn to pray through. This kind of prayer is where you learn to pray with. You need both. Praying with the power of agreement. The writer says, this is where you have heard me, O God. I remember the first time that I, I experienced coming to the altars. We attended this very large church, and they had an altar team at the end of every service, just like we do. You come up and you get prayer. And I just got saved, um, just come to the Lord, and I was going to get this new job. Let me shorten this story because it's long. I, was, I need this new job. is driving a truck, but my driving record wasn't atrocious. Okay, I was in church actually er, about a month before that. Uh, my dad was preaching a tent revival and this guy sitting behind me and never met him before in my life. The Lord put it in his heart to lean up. He goes, hey, he saw me, a young family there. And he goes, hey, I know you don't know me and I don't mean to be weird or nothing, but uh, um, I just feel like God is just telling me to invite you. Are you looking for a job? He did not know I was praying and literally fasting. It's funny where I, I could have sat anywhere, but I sat in front of this guy. We hit it off. He gave me his number. He said, call Intamin this place. Tell him you know me. Tell him I referred you. And I got the, went there, got hired on the spot. And the guy said to me as I was leaving, he goes, oh, every, I've never hired anybody on the spot like this, but I'm going to hire you. And he goes, uh, I'm walking out. He goes, yeah, as long as your driving record comes back, you're good to go. My heart sank. I had two DUIs. I wasn't always a pastor. I ran from the police. I had a felony, but they knocked down. I was fleeing and eluding. I had no driving record. It was gone. I went through all these classes that I had to go through. I had to go through, stay without drinking. I had to go all of that mess to get my license back. I got them back, but there were nine points on my record, nine. And I finally began to drive, but I had those points. I couldn't afford insurance. I mean, you kidding me? And this guy says to me, if your driving record comes back, my heart sank. I walked out. I was at church that Sunday, came up for prayer. I'll never forget. I got prayer by Sister Shirley. She sang on the worship team but she could pray. And she was on the altar team that specific Sunday. I didn't want to get out of my seat because only people that are real desperate go up front. You know, I'm going to sit back here. That's how my mind was. And God said, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I better go up here. So I went up there. It's in front of a lot of people. Everyone's going to judge me. You know, Everyone's, they think you're looking at the sock and, and you're, you know, you were so dumb with these thoughts that come to our mind. I, I came up there and I had the envelope in my hand. It had my nine points on it. I mean, I was praying, anointing it with oil and everything. I came up and Sister Shirley just happened to be her. She said, what can I pray for you? I says, I got, I didn't go into detail, but I said, I need a miracle in my driving record. I got this job and lined up. It's a truck driving job, but I got it. She goes, honey, you don't know how good God is. I said, you don't know how bad my driving record is. <laughs> the sister said, no, you don't know how big God is. I said, no, you don't understand. She goes, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Hey, Sister Shirley was going to head. We're going to throw down in those altars. I'm like, is anybody else hearing the way she's talking to me? 
She's like, you don't know your God. He's the God that put the stars in heaven. She's going, I was like, whoa. Whoa, I tapped into a live one this morning. She grabbed a hold of that envelope and she said, God, in the name of Jesus. She said, I pray that you do something so amazing that it'll make this man never stop believing you. And God, I know you called him in the ministry. And Lord, I know you're going to help him defeat his enemies. And she's just prophesying and praying and I'm crying and not crying. And I'm like, whoa, I'm just hoping this works. She quit praying. I thought everybody left but the janitor. I'm like, whoa. That was Sunday. Tuesday. Intamins called me. I said, Eddie, James, we hired you. Your start date is next Monday. Yeah. I got in. I went to HR, and I said, I'm just curious. You know, I had to come pick up my badge and all this. Did you guys, uh, how did my driving record come back? She goes, oh, your driver came back clean. I said, what you talking about, Willis? She said, your driving record came back clean. I said, I'm thinking she put my wrong name in, but I, I ain't saying nothing. So I was like, all right, James Markham. Okay. That's me. Now God didn't do this for everything. When I got saved, I still owed restitution. I still had to go to probation. I owed people a lot of money. I had to go through a diversion program to get a felony off my record. But when it comes to my driving record, I got a hold of Lansing and they mailed me my driver's license. My wife carried this in her purse for about two years because I shared this testimony. One has from Lansing nine points. The other one has zero points. I don't know how God did it. I'm not saying he'll all, because he didn't wipe away my restitution record. I had to pay a lot of money. But when it comes to my driving record, now if anyone from Lansing's watching, <laughs> this is past the age of statute of limitations anyway, so... What would have happened if I'd have stayed home that Sunday? You got to get what I'm telling you today. It's more than just church and where we come. This is where God hears his people. When we gather with our problems, our imperfections, our baggage, our issues, when we come together to the house of God and we begin to call on him and we pray together, we worship together, we live together, God puts a blessing upon his people and he'll move heaven and earth. He'll move mountains. He'll move, he'll close, he'll split a Red Sea for his people to go from Egypt to the promised land. Stand with me, please, and so I'll finish before Christmas. The last thing I do want to tell you is that number seven, church is where we serve. He talked about being the doorkeeper of the house. And every time I read this scripture, I got to say, I think of our brother Don Swinson. This was our brother Don Swinson's favorite verse. He served as head usher in this church for 20 years. He's in heaven right now. But he would always come to me at the end of, anytime I mentioned this scripture, he would say, chewing that gum. He would say, you preached about me again today. Because the scripture said, David said, I would want to, I, I just, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. The house of God is where we serve. This is where we, I encourage everyone, man, when you come to church, you get involved somewhere because it helps keep you accountable. I tell them this at Life Challenge. When you get out of Life Challenge, join a church. Don't just go join a church. 
If you're on live stream, connect every week. And many of you do. You send emails. You, we talk. We pray with one another. I love that. Because if you're not on nobody's team, it's easy to stay home. But if you are, if you're Nehemiah, he had to be here today because he had to work a camera. Thank God for not calling off, brother. Because there are people on the other side of that red light that need to hear the gospel today. You hear me? And, and, and if you're not on, the name, on anyone's list, if you're not on a rotation, if you're not on a schedule, it's easy to stay home. But man, I'm a greeter. Man, I'm, I'm on this, I'm on that. I'm telling you, it helps you and I stay accountable to come into the house of God. And it keeps you from drifting from the things of God. It's not a ploy to get you, no, no. It, it is a way for us to go. Look, look at the scripture in Titus. Look at the scripture, then I'm done. Titus, Paul writes to a young pastor named Titus and he says, this is a faithful saying and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Pastor Titus, keep preaching this. You sound like a broken record. I want you to keep doing it. That those who have believed in God, how many believe in God? Those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. Then he says this, these things are good and profitable for them. Why did he say be careful. Tell them to be careful because you and I can drift. After God cleared my driving record, Brother Jerry Miracle came up to me. He said, Pastor, or he said, Eddie, he said, uh, we need help on the bus ministry. I said, I don't feel that, brother. <laughs> he said, put a bullet in your pocket and fill some lead. I need you to get on the team. I was in Southwest Detroit, man, bad kids, trying to help. This one kid showed me his finger on his hand, and it wasn't the one that you think. I mean, it was the, the longest finger. I'm like, these kids are demon-possessed. Get me out of this ministry. <laughs> and at the end of a couple of weeks, he came up to me and said, how you doing? I said, I I'm struggling. I don't know if this is my calling. He said, it sounds like God's doing more in you than he's doing through you. He said, sometimes when you join a team and you join a church, it's not that what God wants to do through you. At first, he wants to do some stuff in you. I said, I hate you. Amen. <laughs> and then you know what happened after that? We began to get involved. I began to open up doors. Man, and I, here I am, 26 years later, still got a clean driving record. Come on, somebody. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for your word. Can we just thank him for the house of God, for the church, for the body of Christ? Every one of you are a part of the body today. Can you just thank him for that right where you are? Thank you. Some of you are a hand. Some of you are a knee, a leg, an eye, an ear. Some of you are praying. Where, where, where do I fit in? Where, where do I go? Well, do like I did. Ask the pastor, where do you need the most help? <laughs> but I pray all of us, it takes all of the body parts to make the body go. And Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for this body. We are so blessed. We have all seven of these working in our lives. And I pray that everybody hearing this message today, if they watch it later on YouTube, wherever they hear this message, that God, they would want to become a part of the body of Christ and realize they're a part of the body. Keep us in the back of the elevators, God. If anybody's toward the front of the doors, Lord, I pray this message pushes them back to grab a hold of the banisters and say, I'm, I'm gonna stay in this elevator until I get all the way to the top when I hear that trumpet call. I am in my faith in Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name,
Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.